What is Phineology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore Financial Planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious Money Merits Study. What does it look like to have a conscious and alive relationship with money, while at the same time putting and keeping it in perspective? Also, how do we navigate the dynamics of money flowing between the exterior and the interior of our lives, as well as our personal and collective relationships with money? In today's What is Phineology podcast, psychologist and phineologist Courtney Pullen and I explore these and other questions that we intend to help cultivate our understanding of money, something he and I both believe is essential for a healthy money life. The next question, how do we invite everyone into the conversation? How do we help people on an individual and collective level have better relationships with money? Our intention here, well, this is it, to give you phineology, to give us all a stage and a language to explore money and the human experience. The next step is you. In Courtney's words, financial planners are really in a unique position to help and guide and shepherd people in their lives. I'm Natalie Wagner-Willis. Thanks for joining us today. Please find us at whatisphinology.org or on Facebook. We're glad that you're a part of the conversation. Full disclosure, this episode was recorded before the COVID-19 outbreak and the revitalization of the Black Lives Movement. We wish that this conversation was customized to these circumstances, but since exploring money in the human experience is as relevant as ever, we thought it was important to air this nonetheless. Be well. What is Phineology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore Financial Planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious Money Merits Study. Hi, this is Jake Wagner, co-founder of the What is Phenology Project. If you're new here, we highly encourage you to listen to episode zero, in which we share where the project started, where we're going, and some of the intellectual basis that we've used to build our body of work. We are grateful that you are a part of the conversation. Please visit www.whatisphenology.org to share your comments and questions. Now, back to the episode. Hi, and welcome to this episode of What is Phineology? I am Natalie Wagner, and our guest today is Courtney Pullen. Our mission here on the What is Phineology podcast is to dive into exploring money and the human experience. Our guest today is a long contributor to the 
up and coming field of phenology, a longtime friend of my father's, Dicker Richard Wagner, who was a founder of phenology. And we are very excited to have him here today. Courtney, welcome. Thank you, Natalie. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Would you please start by telling us a little bit about yourself and why you're here today as a guest into exploring this question, what is phenology? And I also want to tell our listeners that you are a fellow of phenology, a phenology fellow, and have been selected as such because of this special relationship to exploring and developing phenology as a new field. And as, as my father would say, the most important profession of the 21st century. So with that, Courtney? Yeah, a little bit of context, Natalie, is that I, I met your dad, boy, I hate to admit to being this old, 19, 20 years ago now. No, actually, I think I met your dad first almost 25 years ago. We were in a family firm study group talking about our work with family businesses. And my background is a psychotherapist. So I have a little bit of a different orientation than a lot of uh, phonology colleagues. And I think it's one of the things that your dad relied on me for was understanding more about the psychology of money. Yet at the mm -hmm. same time, we were learning together because at, at the time we met, I was just leaving my clinical private practice, going into family business consulting. And we struck up a friendship in that study group. And that relationship just took off to a number of iterations that culminated after a number of years in the area of finology. So now what I do is I'm a business coach for financial planners, and I also work, still work with families, but mostly with uh, what's called the family enterprise, which is ultra-affluent families. Excellent. And tell me, Courtney, why do you think this work is important? Well... <sighs> At the most fundamental level, like your dad was apt to say, is that money is weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And we, as human beings, tend to get more wrapped around the axle emotionally about money than almost any other topic. And something that, you know, you and all the listeners will know is that it's just a people will be more willing to talk about sex than they will about money. It just really gets at the core of who people take themselves to be, their worth, their value, how they see their relationships. So there are all these tentacles related to money that the financial planning profession just has prior to really your dad talking about it, what was ignored, discounted, not even seen. And that ironically, and I think somewhat tragically, still exists in the profession today. I think we lose sight of that, that your dad and, and people of his generation and thought leaders in the area still represent a minority of financial planners. So it's still something that the profession needs to more diligently get their hands around. Absolutely. And that's a big part of why we're here. So when you say get their hands around what does that mean to you? What do you see as being the body here? 
Well, I mean, there are two sides of money. There's the technical side, and then there's the behavioral side or the qualitative and the quantitative side of money. And what the financial planning profession does in general is just focus on the technical side. That's all the training, the certifications, and so forth are all focused on the technical side. And that's only half of people's understanding and relationship of money. You've got the behavioral or the emotional side side of money, that if it's left unattended, all the technical application and insight and knowledge is going to fall flat for your typical client. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the things I'm hearing you say is that for financial professionals, focusing solely on the technical side is short-sighted in terms yeah. of overall serving your clients. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of our basic missions here on this podcast and with the What is Finology Project is to give people access to more information to bolster that emotional or behavioral or qualified rather than quantified side of money. If you could give people a few insights into kind of some of the basic ways that they can meet their clients here. What would you say are some 101s with regard to how people can serve that side of their clients? Well, I, I think at a 101 level, Natalie, is that just asking people about their relationship with money. And uh, one of the things I do with couples and with families is I'll do a family tree. And one of the things I'm looking for in a family tree or in a genogram is, in my work as a consultant, is that I'm looking for all sorts of patterns inside the family system from emotional patterns to psychological patterns, health patterns. And there are also money patterns. Mm-hmm. So. It's really, I think that most people, most clients out there are not even aware of the influence of how their parents raise them about their relationship with money is that all of us have kind of money values, money beliefs or money scripts that some people call. And it's us understanding the power and the influence of all those money messages and those money scripts. So at the 101 level, it's just opening clients' eyes to, wow, I do have a relationship with money. Mm -hmm. And it has a historical context, it has a, a cultural context, and it has a family context, and it has a psychological context. So just opening people's eyes to that influence is really very opening for clients. And I don't want to use the word transformative. That's too big of a word for this. But it really does adjust people's understanding about I have a relationship with money. It's quite powerful. And the more conscious that they can be about that, then the more intentional, the more deliberate that they can be about their relationship with money. So it's moving it from a, an unconscious level, mm-hmm. if you will, to a conscious level. which gives them a lot more control and mastery over, oh, okay, now I have a better insight about what I can do with it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that my father talked about and that I see so consistently in my life and in the world around me is how much money touches our lives Mm -hmm. from 
our most intimate relationships with our family and spouses. It's a, it touches it in every way Two, you know, even the fact is, is that it's a global economy and we share money with people that we don't even know. And money right. connects us in a relationship that otherwise we don't really have. Right. Yeah. So this relationship with money, I mean, it follows from that, that the relationship is deeply important. Absolutely. And to what you were saying, I have a, one of the things that I often think about people is that our understanding or our, our ability to understand is really one of our greatest advantageous traits in, in terms of interacting or reckoning with this, this pretty crazy world that we're in. So if we do not understand something, we are quite literally at a disadvantage as it seems that as humans, our understanding is how we become successful in this world by problem solving, self-awareness. And so what you're talking about is pulling it from a place of unawareness into a place of awareness, which then in turn allows us to apply this understanding and then in turn really cultivate improvement or just overall health in this part of our lives that touches everything. Absolutely. So how did you get into this work? What spoke to you here? Called you forward? Well, probably to answer that question, I need to give you a little bit of a a historical context of at least my understanding relationship with phenology is that your dad and George Kinder were known as the it, some people regard them as the founders of life planning or if not the founders the earliest pioneers at the very beginning to talk about now wait a minute people do have a relationship with money and we need as you and I have already been talking about on this webcast is that it's important that that really be acknowledged and honored. And that really opened up the door to a a groundswell of interest in the topic. So you've got all these early pioneers that were really picking up on the thread of the value of taking a look at people's relationship with money. And that has taken us into psychological realms, sociological realms, and into developmental theory. And I'll talk about what I mean by all that. But, you know, you you look at my personal experience, Natalie, is that as your dad was talking to me about this at the early stages of this, is that it, to me it felt like it was groundbreaking. It felt like it was really answering a question that people weren't really posing out there in the industry. And at the time I met your dad, I wasn't even aware of the industry. But when he talked about the profession and what was really missing in the profession and First time he said this, I was a little skeptical of it, but that he almost compared to the the work that financial planners are doing to that of a, a pastor, of a, a preacher. But mm-hmm. what I, I valued about him saying that is that it puts it in it, an area of prominence that it really needs to be in, and that financial planners are really in a unique position to help and guide and shepherd people in their relationship with money in areas that 
they typically don't address in their lives. And what I've experienced and seen is that as they can be freed up to unhook from some of the weight, burden, unconsciousness around money is it can really liberate them in their lives, in their relationships, and in their community to really do something when they can see that uh, money can be quite powerful. And what does that look like for them to have really a conscious, alive relationship with money and at the same time to put in perspective? That's beautiful. And and Natalie, I also want to acknowledge that in my mind, your dad was the first pioneer along with George Kinder in this space. But, you know, since that time or over the years since then, you, you had all these people that independently were asking similar questions. And it's ironic that many of us found each other, you know, from uh, Gail Coleman and Rick Kaler and Elizabeth and Michael and Ed Jacobson. I remember we were all at a, a George Kinder workshop out in the desert in California, really exploring the seven stages of money maturity and George Kinder's work. And that was a, the early evolution of this whole space of phenology that ended up being phenology. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really valued about your dad is that he was always pushing the envelope and doing it in a, a very progressive way in that he was inviting everyone into the conversation. He wasn't positioning himself as having all the answers, but he was he was learning from you know, Susan Bradley and Carol Money Quotients and others and really kind of connecting all of us to let's explore more deeply the, as I mentioned, the psychological and the sociological implications of this work. And then he really took it, in my estimation, beyond psychology. And I think that's what financial three Financial Planning 3.0 is about is that he did, as you know, he and I worked with Ken Wilber and developed this model around integral finance. And it was along with a better understanding of developmental theory is that we needed to help clients understand their psychological relationship with money, their emotional relationship with money. But we also needed to be asking ourselves questions as advisors in our work with clients, what's beyond that? Yeah. What's beyond yeah. the psychological? So that really got us into the realm of the sociological and developmental theory and the work of Ken Welber and others that have come before Ken. So that was just something that your dad very consistently did was push the envelope on this and that all those names, the people I mentioned, we were all kind of going along and examining it and doing our own critical thinking about it. And we would convene from time to time at conferences to really see where were we in the development of, of this profession. So first of all, Courtney, where can we find this information on integral finance? Well, You could do as simple as just Googling integral finance and what you will find is 
Dick's work in this area. And then again, the context is that what he did was the work of Ken Wilbur is incredibly valuable and incredibly dense mm-hmm. and hard to kind of wade through. So your dad's written articles about integral finance. I wrote an article about integral finance in the Journal of Financial Planning a number of years ago. That would be a good starting point would just to be to Google integral finance and you'll see my writings and your dad's writings and other people's responses to that as well. Perfect. Well, for our listeners' information and Courtney, please build on this or correct me where I'm wrong because I'm sure you're more familiar than I am. But the basic context of integral talks very much about the interior and the exterior, the I space and the we space. Is that all four quadrants, Courtney? Yes. Okay. And what's so important about that is that it really does highlight the fact that we are individuals with an interior world that is rich and important and a palpable part of our lives, while at the same time we're in a shared world. And that collective, the being completely immersed in the collective and the fact that we affect each other and the fact that we mean something to each other. All of this comes together to have this culminating dynamic of that interior and the exterior and the I and the we that money very much exists within. Money is something that comes from the outside that is in this collective world and then It becomes interior when we bring it into our own world. As it enters our bank account, that is suddenly our interior world. Mm -hmm. But then we release it back out to the collective. Right. So this is a very tangible way that we connect the interior and the exterior. Right. Exactly. Very well said. Thank you. Which really lands us on the importance of exploring money and the human experience. And one thing that I just can't quite hold my tongue from saying, though it does stretch into grounds that a lot of people don't see money having a place in, spirituality seems to be a palpitating part of the human experience. So what does money mean there too? And I don't have an answer to that. I just think it's important to recognize that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. This money thing is a huge part of our human experience. And what do we do with that? Right. Right. Indeed. Well, I think that's the the gift of integral finance and then the phonology is that it gives us a language for really understanding something that felt too much of an abstraction or that we weren't even aware of. So that's part of what I, although the integral finance language can feel a little bit esoteric, it does give us a, a better understanding, as you have mentioned, Natalie, of we have it. In, there's two sides of that relationship. There's an interior side and there's an exterior side of, the, of our relationship with money. So it just helps clients as we can explain some of those very basic concepts, they can start recognizing what are those patterns that exist in my life between my interior relationship with money and my exterior relationship with money. And I I do have a a shared bias that that you do, which it does have a spiritual component to it as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that the four quadrants of integral finance, they, they 
are large enough and encompassing enough that it includes the existential, includes the spiritual, includes the just the normal grit of us understanding the technical side of money also. Because, it, again, there are those two sides of money that need to be honored and acknowledged in our work with clients and in the industry in general. Yeah. That's right. And one of the things that I experience as well, so my work, for those of you that don't know, is I've been a money wellness coach for quite some time. And one of the things that I really notice with clients is that when we get the money stuff working, the functionality side, it pulls them forward. And when one of the things about a lot of interior work is that it can remain a little bit sometimes not land. And the thing about money is that even though when we're working on our relationship with money, it is interior work because it has this technical component and this very, very functional, real component that literally affects our environment, affects our bodies with our food, things like that, that it pulls people forward and that money has a way of taking that interior work and making it very, very real in your life because money is so real in that way that when we improve that relationship of connecting the interior to the exterior, that has a lot of power to it. Right. Well, when you were talking, Natalie, what I was recalling is your dad's phrase that money is the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. And it, you know, when you the first time I heard him say that, it sounded very provocative, but it, it I think it was meant to provoke is really, again, to help us all as advisors to understand that this is big, powerful stuff. It has a huge influence in our client's life and our culture. And I mean, you're. An exercise your dad would do with clients sometimes that I witness is that he would pull out the the local newspaper and say, look at all these articles in the paper and find articles that don't have something to do with money. And you'd have to like get to the fifth or sixth page before you didn't couldn't find something that in some literal or abstract way related to money. So it it does have such a huge influence in our lives. And again, as I have said, I guess a couple of times now that personal family level, the cultural societal level. So that's a pervasive force that we need to acknowledge. Now, what I also want to emphasize here as in our conversation, Natalie, is that a little bit of this may sound a little bit esoteric to people, but this conversation is for financial planners, for financial advisors, is that a lot of this language I don't use. Like, I don't talk to my clients about integral finance. Right. But I do talk to them about the interior and exterior mm-hmm. and what a pervasive money force it is in our in our society. So one of the gifts I think that I appreciated about your dad is that he was while he was very conceptual, theoretical when he was talking amongst his peers, when it came to talking to clients, he was just very plain spoken and he could deconstruct, which what I would encourage people to do is to take the wisdom behind his words and deconstruct it into plain spoken language for people. Mm. 
Mm, so important for those clients. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's cool. I um, never got the pleasure of actually seeing my father in a client-facing situation. So that's a, a cool image that you just gave me. Yeah, we, your dad and I went through the uh, George Kinder training at two different times, the seven stages of money maturity. But then what we did with George's work is he and I would do seven stages workshops together and also did some client work together where he would be working on the technical side. I would be working on the psychological side and then we would overlap our work kind of in the middle Mm -hmm. because obviously he was very familiar with the psychological side or the behavioral side as well. So it was fun experiment to play around with. Yeah, that is fun. One of the things that he was so good at that I saw him be amazingly good at with his peers and also incidentally with my friends. Um, A lot of them have told me that he did this for him was to see in other people, but also just give them permission to see in themselves their own insight, their own specialness that is there as potential and is getting nurtured, but he gave people something that allowed them to step forward into it. And that is such a wonderful gift. And one of the things that we're trying to do here, so it sounds like he did that with clients, but what, one of the things that we're trying to do that we're doing here in the, what is Phenology project is having this collective place for all of those who had insight into Phenology to bring it all together, and those who want to study phenology to have a place to go. Well, and I'd like to think that I had some influence on that with your dad is that, again, like I mentioned earlier, is that your dad was such an amazing thinker, and yet at the same time, he didn't feel like he had to have ownership for the entire field about this area of phenology. He was always talking to people like me and Marty and, oh, God, Don, St. Clair, and many others in the industry to develop his thinking and his ideas. And one of the things I introduced to your dad is that I said, one of the limitations of psychology, at least in my opinion, is that it has such a tendency to pathologize people. You've got the DSM-4R and all this stuff that's always putting you know, pathology around people rather than fundamentally meeting them when, where they are. So I think an important thing to address on our conversation here today is that when we say we're talking to clients about the psychological, it's not giving us permission to pathologize them or say that they have a a harmful relationship with money, but it's to bring consciousness to it. So a couple of the things I introduced to your dad was the first was appreciative inquiry, which was to really help identify with clients what are their strengths and how can they build on those strengths and appreciate those strengths. The old adage in appreciative inquiry is that change occurs in the direction of your attention. What is it you're wanting to focus on and get more of? So rather than a traditional psychological approach of deconstructing 
a pathology, so to speak, appreciative inquiry was really taking us in a very different direction about mm. how can we build the skills and the strengths of the client. And then I also introduced positive psychology to your dad, which was similar to appreciative inquiry in that sense of not focusing on the pathology or the deficits, but how is it's a strengths-based model? How is it that we can develop strengths in our clients? So it was a it's a very forward-facing approach, and I I saw that your dad really kind of allowed that. And again, thinking of many other people besides just me, to influence his thinking about phonology, mm-hmm. so that we were really advancing our thinking about this and not focusing too much on the past and on pathology, but about helping people be intentional about how is it that we can have a conscious, healthy relationship with money and all of its influences. Yeah, I think it's really important that folks understand that the purpose here is not to put a box around what is phenology. Right. Dad was a big believer in a liberal arts education and that phonology is a liberal, liberal arts field that we need to incorporate everything from psychology, tiny, technical, financial skills to studying money and the human experience through literature, through art, of course, through history, looking at sociology and more to grapple with what is seeming to me an endless question of money in the human experience and bringing the nuggets from all these different places, all these different expertise into a place where we can really have a rich understanding of this, this facet of our lives that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Courtney, Do you have anything else that you feel like we should incorporate into this conversation? Nothing else in particular comes to mind. And I I think if your dad were here, he would say, what we now have a responsibility to do is continue the conversation. That's right. Continue the conversation about helping clients really evolve their understanding about money. And that particularly in his book, Financial Planning 3.0, he posited a lot of important theories and and really brought us up to date on his thinking. But he, as your dad was apt to do, asked as many questions open-ended questions as he did provide answers. So I think it's an invitation for us as financial planners and advisors to to continue this conversation. And I think that's the gift of phonology. So thanks for the conversation. And I, I think that's all that I've got on my mind for today. Gorgeous. Well, for all of you listeners, please join the conversation at whatisphenology.org. Courtney, thank you. It has been a true pleasure. It's always a delight to talk with you. All the more delight to have you here as a guest on the What is Phenology podcast. It's my pleasure, Natalie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I want to thank the What is Phenology team, co-founder and curator, Jacob Wagner, 
Senior Assistant Natasha Hogett, and Project Producer Gail Pelsu. This episode of the What is Phenology podcast is dedicated to our guiding light, the father of phenology and co-founder of this project, Richard Wagner. Without you, this doesn't happen. And thank you to you, our listeners. This conversation needs you. Please send us your thoughts and questions at whatisphenology.org or on Facebook. I'm Natalie Wagner-Willis. As always, be well. Thank you.